Good morning. My name is Ruth. This week I became a grandmother for the first time and holding Jesse in my arms, I laughed and laughed as I remembered the day my mother-in-law held his father Obed in her hands. It was an unlikely story, our story together. <laughs> I think my favorite part of that day was when the neighbors came to visit and they said to Naomi that I, her Moabite daughter-in-law, was worth more than seven sons to her. <laughs> the look on her face. I had grown to love Naomi, but our relationship was complicated. <laughs> and I've been asked this morning to tell you my story. I'm such an ordinary person, I never imagined that anyone would write a book about my life. But I find at the end that all I really have is my story, my unique moments on the stage of life. And strangely, in the background, as I look back, I see always in the shadows, Yahweh, the almighty God and creator, was there. My story starts with the family where I was born in Moab. Moab is a battlefield. They worship a god named Baal, who is always at war at Mot. And I think that that is a description of how I felt about my early life. It felt like a battle. I was born a girl. In my town, when food was scarce, the men and the boys ate first, then the women and then the girls. Often there was not enough. When there was a chance to learn or a chance to travel, it was always my brothers who got to go, and I was so angry and bitter for the way that my father treated my mother and my sisters. We were always doing the work of carrying water and preparing food. I was never more angry than when he decided and arranged my marriage he had me marry a refugee, a man with no land, with few possessions, into a family. I didn't even speak the language. They ate food that I found strange and sometimes disgusting. And I became the laughingstock of my friends in the village. But as I look back now as a grandmother, I see even then, in the shadows of that painful time with my first family, there was something of the hand of God in my life. And I see how it was his hand that led me and taught me to let go of that past. In order to move on, I had to let go. I had to give up the hope that my past could get better. It might seem obvious to you now, but it's hard to forgive. And it's always a process. It took many years, and I really might not have ever gotten there, except for the gift of my sister-in-law, Orpah. Fortunately for me, another girl from my village married the brother of my husband. Orpah and I had so much in common, and we laughed often about the way the Hebrews lived. 
We also cried about leaving our culture and our families. We talked and we prayed together. And it was really through my friendship with Orpah that I was able to let go of my bitterness to my father and to believe that he had done the best he could. With four daughters and three sons, he had little choice when it came to me. He had no money left to marry me well. I came to think, too, that perhaps my name, Ruth, which means beautiful friend, was the gift my mother gave me from the love of her heart. It was the only thing she had, the power to name me. Yahweh was in the shadows of my learning to let go of the past in my first family. My second family, the one I fought so hard to avoid, turned out to be the greatest blessing of my life. My father-in-law, Elimelech, was a very kind man. And although he had little, he was generous. He was known in the community as a good man. And although I didn't know him because he died before I married his son, he had a huge impact on the way we lived our lives. I came to love Yahweh through that family, as I heard about his loving kindness and mercy, how even as refugees, these Hebrews who had nothing believed that Yahweh was their provider. Even of the way out to Moab for them, they felt his hand had guided them. And I came to love their day of rest, Shabbat. Orpah and I giggled a lot about our mother-in-law. Naomi's name means pleasantness. <laughs> we love to talk about her using that word, pleasantness. Pleasantness has ordered me to wash the pots again because we didn't do it in the Hebrew way. Pleasantness demands that I give away perfectly good fabric because it's a blend. Orpah was closer than a sister to me and how we leaned on one another. And yet, Naomi loved us as daughters and offered care in her own way, particularly the winter. Our husbands both died. It was a tough winter for the whole town. So many died of the flu that year. The grief was overwhelming, and we came to really rely on Naomi. She was a steady hand and a steady heart. Bereft as she was and far from home, she cared for us. When she heard that there was food again in her home village, she was determined to go back, as unlikely as that was. And we heard that the, her village name was Bethlehem, House of Bread. That sounds like the absolutely perfect place to live. Yahweh was lurking all the time in the experiences of my second family as well, helping me at each change and each loss and each mystery to accept the road I'm on. You know how it is when you set out for a journey and you have all the right things for the path you're on. You have the, the snacks, you have the maps, you know what you're going to do. And then all of a sudden in life, you're picked up and put on a different road, a road not of your choosing. The only way to make it on this new road was to accept that this was the road I was now on, accept my marriage to Malan a Hebrew refugee, 
accept the loss of my heritage and my way of life, and even more, accept when I became a widow and that I would die childless, the greatest heartbreak of all. Leaving Moab was the hardest thing I ever have done. In fact, Naomi would often encourage me to take refuge under the wings of Yahweh as her ancestors, Abraham and Sarah, had done. And somehow I was able to risk becoming a sojourner like Naomi. I really didn't have a choice like Orpah. She had a loving family to go back to. I knew I would not be welcome again in my father's home. How I grieved when she returned to, to her home in Moab. I have a bit of a dramatic side, and maybe that's why I understand and have compassion for Naomi, who can be a bit of an emotional creature as well. My outburst, surprisingly, has become a well-known saying among Obed's friends. He's sometimes embarrassed when he hears them repeat my words. And whenever I hear a bride and groom use my words, I want to ask the bride, don't say that to your husband, turn, say that to your mother-in-law. Then I'd be impressed. Don't urge me to leave you or turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. And I will die where you die and be buried there. May the Lord deal with me severely if anything but death separates you and me. Can you believe I said that to my mother-in-law? In the moment, it really wasn't that far-fetched that we might die together on the road or perhaps not be welcome back in Bethlehem, but I still chose to cling to Naomi. Even though she had become a bitter, bitter woman, she managed to bless Orpah and me and I'm so glad I stayed with her and lived long enough to see that bitterness would not be the last word in Naomi's story. When we got to Bethlehem, her words, her first words, were some of her dramatic best. She said to them, Don't call me pleasant one. Call me Mara, because the Almighty has marred my life. Pun intended. I went away full, and I came back empty. Uh, I was standing right there. Hello? Empty? You left during a famine? Empty. You returned at barley harvest? Full. Empty? What am I, a fly on your shoe? But I knew that she was talking about the loss of her husband and her sons. And even though she was bitter, Naomi believed her life was in El Shaddai's hands, the Almighty. Well, life wasn't easy when we got back to the village. I got to experience what it was to be an alien and a foreigner. People were curious, constantly staring at me. The women were suspicious. I couldn't go anywhere without a thousand prying eyes watching me. I was the three worst things, poor, a foreigner, and a widow. I began to see that though my circumstances were dire in Bethlehem, I was under the wings of the Almighty. For it turned out that that is who he cared for, the poor, the foreigner, and the widow. Provision was made for us to participate in the harvest. Who could have imagined that the very first day I would meet a man so full of grace and truth? 
I not only came home with far more than I was able to harvest myself, but with food left over from the sumptuous lunch that he had invited me to. And he prayed a blessing over me, which now I look back and laugh because he, in fact, was the provision and the answer to that prayer. Naomi's imagination went to work when she heard about Boaz. She was a clever woman, and yet I think El Shaddai's hand was behind her plan for me. Boaz went far beyond his obligation to me in generosity, and eventually in spreading his robe over me as a symbol that he would care and provide for me always. But it had taken courage for Naomi and I to create a future for ourselves, to value ourselves and not allow others to shame us in our circumstances. But someone always has to carry hope for a family. And I learned in Bethlehem to carry hope for Naomi. It took courage and imagination to create a picture of a future. My hope, Naomi's plan, God's power. Every family needs someone to carry the hope, especially when you're experiencing loss and hardship and disappointment. But Boaz truly paid the price to act as my kinsman redeemer. He brought back what had been lost and restored Elimelech's name through my son Obed. And then, of course, we started where we began with Naomi. Naomi holding the son of promise, the child of promise, embracing my son after Boaz and I married and had him. And those sweetest words I ever heard from the community, may Obed also be to you one who restores life and sustains your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you is better to you than seven sons who has given birth to him. Naomi took care of him every day of her life. She got to see him grow to be a young man. You know, as I look back, the times were evil and chaotic, and yet God was present in the shadows. I saw him in the healing as I let go of my past. I saw him help me to learn to accept the road of my life. And I know that the hope I carried for the family came from him. I wonder how many of you have a grandmother who is still alive. Have you asked her her stories? Many of our grandmothers had empty cupboards, broken bodies and hearts, babes longed for, dangers escaped. I wonder whether she can or not, if you can see God in the shadows of your grandmother's story. And I wonder if you can see how suffering in the hands of a loving God leads to hope. This morning we come to the table. Boaz was seen clearly by Ruth as a provision for her. He was the redeemer who literally paid for her. And we come to this table 
because we have been literally paid for by the body and blood of Christ. Ruth had nothing, just as we come as strangers and aliens to God. We come on our knees hoping that he will spread his garment of forgiveness and grace over us, that he will provide for us going forward. And this is his provision, the table. In Jesus, we see God so clearly. On the night before he died, Jesus took the bread and broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, this is my body broken for you. Eat of it, all of you. And he also took the wine and he poured it out and he said, this is my blood poured out for you for the forgiveness of sins. We have a great feast here as God's people. It is not the table of a denomination. It's not Bethany's table. It's the table of the Lord. And all who follow Christ, who love God, are welcome at this table this morning. I'm going to pray for the, for the elements, and then I just ask you to, there are three stations, one left, right, and center. Uh, all of the bread is gluten-free, so we take the bread and we dip it into the juice. And there will be prayer team people at both sides. If you would like a word of prayer, whatever you are coming with this morning, perhaps you're coming with something to let go of. Perhaps you're coming in, with a need of hope, or perhaps you're coming at a time when you need to accept the road where you are currently. Whatever you come with, know that there are brothers and sisters in Christ who would love to pray for you this morning. Let's pray. Father, you came from fullness and became empty for us, and we come empty to you and, and desire to be filled with you, to be filled with your grace, to be filled with your love and power. Sustain us, Lord, with your body and blood this morning. Thank you for this community, that you have, you have restored our name, that you have given us a family, that you have given us a future and a hope. We give thanks in Christ's name. Amen.